Yeah, I just actually got scared by my own shadow right before I hit record. <laughs> I went off, I'm on a walk, and I went off to use the restroom, since I, I like to share so much about that these days, but I went off to use the restroom off of a trail, and it's dark out. And then when I turned around, I didn't realize there was a light casting a shadow on me. And I looked, I, I just saw movement, and it was my own shadow. That's exactly what I should be afraid of. That's exactly what you should be afraid of. You. You. You should be afraid of you. You know, last night I was doing something, and I got this forced notification on my phone. It opened up and everything. Like, I didn't even click it. And, you know, I did an episode a couple months ago where I was talking about Amber Alerts on phones. How Amber Alerts are the only forced notification you get, at least for me. I have an older phone. I have a, a phone that I think I got in 2017. An Android. And uh, the only forced notification I get is an Amber Alert. Where the phone vibrates and... It's like the world is falling apart. And I was saying back then, I was saying, you know, I was saying in that other episode about how, I wonder when that became, I wonder when that was decided upon. You know, I wonder when it was decided upon that the only forced notification that we get on our phones is for Amber Alerts. And trust me, I'm not, I'm not anti-Amber Alert. I'm not anti-Amber Alert. Like, I think it's great that they let everybody know when a kid is in trouble. You know, it makes complete sense that an Amber Alert would go out to everybody. There's a kid in trouble. But it's strange to me, like, I like was that decided upon? That seems like the sort of thing people should vote about. There's a lot of things that it surprises me that we don't vote over. Like, we'll vote over, like, do we want to turn this uh, old abandoned railroad into a bridge? You know, we'll vote on these municipal issues, we'll vote, you know, for these political candidates, but it's surprising to me that, like, if we are all going to get a forced notification that makes us feel like the world is ending when there's an Amber Alert, you'd think that would be something that, you know, we would have known how and when that happened, and, you know, maybe we did, and I just wasn't paying attention, but it's strange to me that's the only thing. Especially in the circumstances we're in right now. You know, for and, and just with anything dangerous, you'd think that you would be notified. Where a few months ago, a friend messaged me who lived here because there was a transient guy who lived in the woods near my house. And he went to the next town over and he killed a guy with a machete. He hacked him to death with a machete and he was on the loose. And it said he was known to live in my neighborhood, basically. And I was like, you know, that would be good to know. But a friend had to send me this newspaper link with a paywall, whatever. I, you know, I couldn't even read about it. She had to send me a, uh, I think like a screen cap of like next door. One of those websites where neighbors talk. And it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, this guy, it was probably a drug deal. There's probably something personal between these men. But still, you know, he killed this guy with a machete and he's on the loose and he's known to stay in the woods near my house. It just seems like something that I should know. 
I shouldn't have to rely on a friend to send me a screen cap from nextdoor.com or whatever it is. Like, yeah, it's not the sanctity of a child, like an Amber Alert, but it seems pretty important. And when I talked about that before, I mentioned how, like, you'd think that we would get that kind of message, too, or some kind of message. It doesn't have to be an Amber Alert that just shakes your phone and forces you to click something, but even just a text message. You know, when they, uh, like, during lockdown, you know, I mentioned if I was Rip Van Winkle, I wouldn't even have known. I would have tried to go to the grocery store, and I, I would have had no idea something was going on in the world. You have to seek the information out to know what's going on at all. But, uh, you know, last night I discovered that there's a new force notification they're willing to send out, which is I got this thing just appeared on my phone and it opened up by itself with a link to the Google store, to the Lady Gaga Google store. And it was like trying to get me to download what it referred to as a COVID exposure notification app. And I heard about those things a while back. I don't know if those are in use. I don't know if that's brand new throughout the entire United States. Because it said, this is now available in your state. And I heard, you know, I heard about other countries using that a year and a half ago. You know, I heard rumors of that where they were going to try to get you to use some kind of app that tells you if you've been exposed to people, like a contact tracing. Is that what that is? So many phrases, I don't even know what they mean, but I've heard them a million times. But it was, it just disturbed me that I was doing something else on my phone, and all of a sudden this Google store was just open on my phone. And it even had a little icon at the top, you know, like that tells you you've gotten a notification, and I was just like, what is this? And, you know, your options were either to download it, or the other option was not now. So you actually had to do something. Like you had to like click a button. They were really trying to get you to download this. And I, the words not now bothered me as well. Like the, I found that sinister. Where it said not now. Download or not now. Which kind of suggests to me like it's, it's is this gonna notify me again? You know, because it says not now, is this going to try to get me to do it again? Or is that implying, like, not now, but you'll definitely have to download it later? But I, I don't trust that kind of thing at all. And I don't want to know. You know, I don't want to know. I don't want to know who's been around me. And, and that way, too, it's like you're now giving information to it as well. It's now giving this app your location information. And I'm not even that paranoid about that kind of thing. I'm not even somebody who's that worried. Oh, the government's look watching me. The government's coming after me. You know, I'm not, I don't even think that way most of the time because I just kind of accept it as a fact. I just kind of figure if they want to know, they not that I think they're watching my every move, but if they want to, I know they can. And I'm not going to use a burner phone or use 
anything like that. I'm not going to go to great lengths to avoid it because I'm not doing anything criminal or controversial. Even though the definitions of those things seem to change every day. Just what disturbed me is just that this thing, like an Amber Alert, it just appeared on my phone. It was a forced notification where it wasn't just a text message that said like, click here if, you want, if you're interested in downloading this because it's now available in your state. It opened itself and it forced me to make a decision. And I know somebody else would get that and be like, oh, this is so great. Oh man, this is so great. I was waiting for them to get this so that I can be even more paranoid. Oh no, you went to Target. There was somebody there with Coroni. Better get tested. It's just, it's psychologically harmful. And the less you think about that stuff, the better you are. But to me, it's also just what we're seeing in other places, you know, what we're seeing in other countries, you know, the way that they're, that people get treated if they think that they've been exposed or, you know, all that. It's just, it's very sinister to me. And the last few days, I've just, I can't help but shake the feeling that, like, I guess I, I've had this feeling the last few days where I'm like, we, we really are in that Sci-fi. We, we are on that precipice of like entering the sci-fi hell world and it's gradual but it feels like I've just noticed the last few days that it seems like that jump there's been a jump and just the sorts of things people are talking about we're like we're now in an age where wealthy people and famous people go to space for a second as sort of a PR stunt. And nobody cares, and actually a lot of people hate them for it. Like it used to be somebody went to space and it was just something to celebrate because it's so incredible and insane that human beings managed to figure that out. But it's like now you have a billionaire and just random people doing it for PR stunts. I think, uh, didn't Captain Kirk go up to space for a second? I'm pretty sure Captain, they sent Captain Kirk, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Bill Shatner. They sent, I'm pretty sure they sent like 90 year old Bill Shatner up to space for just a second, just so they could kind of blend reality and fiction. And that's not even, you know, I have no problem with that. Like it's funny or something. Oh, we sent, we sent Captain Kirk up to space. But the fact that it can be done so easily and they, you know, it's not just astronauts, like anybody can be sent up there and there's all these people who just loathe them for it. Like when the Amazon guy went up there, I only saw negative responses. Like a friend of mine emailed me actually and he was just like, I couldn't believe it because I, I wasn't even paying attention to that. But a friend of mine emailed me, he's like, I couldn't believe it. Like he basically just went up to space to take selfies and came back down and I, I just thought sounds about right I'm not too surprised by that and the amount of money that goes into doing that is the other thing like people who think about humanitarian causes and all that and then it's like we're spending who knows how much money to do that 
and you know we're hearing more talk about the metaverse and you know my take on that is like don't think about it don't say it i'm only bringing it up here to kind of banish it you know uh, you have the tesla guy talking about he's been talking about this for a while but you know basically putting some sort of like neurological chip inside of people to more deeply synthesize technology and, and uh, digital technology and humans and the idea is like oh you you won't even have to type on your keyboard Ask the people, all those people who are like, I hate keyboards that are quiet. That was a whole talking point years ago when they came out with quiet keyboards. People were like, I don't, I don't even like typing on a quiet keyboard. I like to hear the keys. Because we do like that kind of tactile experience. When you type, you like to be able to feel the keys and hear them. And I, I remember hearing that there were people who would pay a lot of money for older keyboards, older laptops and things like that because of the keyboard and these quiet keyboards just weren't doing it for people and it's like if you had a problem with the quiet keyboards you're gonna have a big problem with no keyboard where people are just typing with their mind but that's the thing we just keep pushing And naturally, there's a lot of people who are resistant to that. But I'm noticing more and more people. I mean, this has been a talking point for years now, since the at least since the 2016 election. But people talking about bots, like the assumption that social media accounts, that you know, accounts on various websites are bots. But in the last month or so, I've heard way more talk about it. To the point where it seems like people see a negative comment on a website and they just assume it's a bot at this point, which is yet another victory for AI, because I don't think that. Like, I'll be reading comments on something and I see people arguing and someone will be like, you're just a bot trying to sow discord. And I'm like, I don't even think so. I think people are just feeling really reptilian and nasty right now i don't even think these are robots but that seems to be a big win for ai that you now have human beings arguing with each other and pointing at each other being like you're a bot no you're a bot i think you're a bot these are all bot these are all russian bots like people don't think about those little victories that AI wins that robots win. You know, I always use the example of CAPTCHA. When you have to click the CAPTCHA button. Or for example, I mean like last week, it's like I had changed the password to my EB account. And uh, I was having trouble logging in. And every time I tried to log in, it made me click one of those CAPTCHA things where you find the bicycles. Click on each picture that has a train. And I'm like, this makes you insane. I had another moment the other night where I saw that, you know, apparently, like, if you use 
you know, I have an Android phone. I don't think about what kind of phone I have ever. But if you have an Android phone, if you say in, because you can talk into the search, it's one of those Siri type things, I guess. And you can tell it to do things. And if you say, sing me a song, because uh, I, I totally, I, I've totally done that. I totally tell my phone, sing me a song. But right now, if you tell your Android phone, sing me a song, it sings you the most insane pro-vaccine robot song. It's the woman's robot voice singing this really fucking eerie pro-vaccine song. And I hear that and I'm like, who is this for? Because some of this, you know, this vac- this pro-vaccine propaganda, you know, in theory, it's it's trying to encourage people to get it. But I can tell you that the people who are resistant to getting it, like, none of this stuff works on them. Like, none of this stuff is persuasive in the least. Like, a robot on your phone singing you a song about how great the vaccine is. I, I think that's just designed to make you insane. You know, and I'm feeling that more and more where I see, like, what people are doing. And I'm like, is this just designed to make people go insane? To feel even more crazy? And that's just one example. You know, there's so many examples of that. Where it's like, if you say, sing me a song, the female robot voice on your song. And they didn't, you know, it's, it's not like they recorded a song with a, a real woman singing. It's like they made the robot sing it. And she still sounds like that robot. And that's supposed to be cute or something. But I was like, who is this for? Because it's like, there's obviously a lot of people who worship the vaccine. They didn't just get it. They don't just think it's good and useful. But they actually worship the very idea of it. So I guess it's for them. At, you know, that's that's actually the most positive spin I can put on it. Is This is just for people who already have it. To have a moment of worship. To revel in it. But if it's designed to encourage other people to get it. Don't you realize none of this stuff is even remotely persuasive? It makes people angry. If, if they don't have discipline and self-control, it could very well make them feel completely insane. Because, I mean, I feel like I have it together. Yeah, you know, I go out there. You know, I'm willing to think about whatever. I'm willing to talk about whatever. But it's like I feel very disciplined and grounded. So when I, But the fact that I see that, and I have this completely surreal moment, because I saw that. I didn't do it on my phone. Hell no, I'm not going to do that on my phone. But I saw multiple videos of it. Of people saying that into their phone and then it's singing it back to them. And it was just an utterly surreal moment for me, actually. I actually was suspended from reality for a moment when I saw that. That asking your phone to sing you a song has a robot singing you a pro-vaccine song. I just thought, wow. I had to kind of look around the room for a second. 
and just be like, am I really seeing this? And it just makes me ask, like, who is this for? Do they even know? You know, is this designed to make people go crazier? Because I can tell you, there's a lot of people who don't even know what reality is anymore. They have no idea. It's like their, their minds have been pulled and stretched. Some of them have been broken. You know, and a lot of people are getting by. There's a lot of people who are living their lives. They work. They have family. They have friends. But their minds have still been just stretched. Stretched to the limit. To the point where I don't even know if they're capable of recognizing this stuff. And just the methods of persuasion are so weird. And I mean, that applies down the board. It's not just the vac. It's not just one thing or the other. It's down the board with pretty much anything and everything. I'm walking down this street. There's a lot of Christmas lights. I like it. You know, I like Christmas. Always been a big Christmas fan. I decided not to get a tree this year. And uh, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to see family or what I'm going to do. But I'm not feeling... It's not that I'm Scrooge. I'm not in bah humbug mode or anything like that. I just don't feel connected to it at all this year. I'm focused on other things. And... It doesn't feel like a year where I need to celebrate Christmas too much. But I do like seeing people doing it. Like this neighborhood, it's a family neighborhood. I think a lot of military families. Those are the exact people who should be putting Christmas lights up and celebrating Christmas. It actually does make me feel good to see it. But, uh, man, I'm... You know, and somebody would probably say I'm paranoid or weird for reacting to that forced notification last night, but I just, that's just one little piece among many. And it seems like a strange time for that to have been developed. Because it seems like something that would be very easy to develop, especially given that other countries already have it. So the fact that it's here now. Like, it would have made more sense, it, you know, if this was April 2020 or even June 2020, I probably would have looked at that differently. I probably would have been like, okay, well, this is the height of that initial wave. You know, I wouldn't have downloaded it, but I would have at least been like, okay, it makes sense that this is all fairly new. There's no vaccine. Everything is still cloaked in mystery. Makes sense that being exposed to COVID would be relevant and some people might want to track that. But December 13th, 2021 just seems like an odd time for that to come. And the fact that it's, you know, it's the only 
coronavi thing that is just forced. It's the only notification I've, I've received about it. But somebody else might be like, you're just paranoid. It's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to have this app that tells you who's been around you and tells everybody else if you've been exposed and this and that. There's people who think that's a great thing. I saw something really strange a couple nights ago where a social media account belonging to the Auschwitz Memorial, the Holocaust Auschwitz Memorial, like the social media account was pretty much attacking people who were comparing some of the language and measurements being taken concerning COVID. Like they were like basically if people were comparing any of the government conduct related to COVID to the Holocaust or World War II or putting people in camps or public health, like like treating some people as more um, more of a public health concern than other people. Like they were attacking people who were making that comparison and basically saying it's a sign. They said it's a sign of moral decay that people are, are comparing like quarantine camps and all that and, and government mandates to Nazi Germany. And I mean, I already said like yesterday how I feel about any World War II comparisons at this point. Just leave it alone. Doesn't matter where you rest politically. Doesn't matter what your opinion is on this or that. The second you make a World War II comparison, you're going to start arguing about World War II comparisons. You know, we know certain governments are sending people to camps. We know that certain parts of our population are demonizing people who are unvaccinated and talking about them like they're parasites. That's enough. You know, there's no reason to compare it to anything. But I found it very strange that the, the Auschwitz Memorial official social media was taking such a strong stance on this. And it made me wonder, it's like the obvious point is, like, did you do this when people were comparing so-and-so to Hitler every day? Like, do you do this every time that somebody makes a comparison? Because the other thing that the, the account said was also, like, it's, it's a sign of moral decay, and, like, we should be happy that we have vaccines. You know, basically, like, you should never make a comparison between current events and the Holocaust. And you should be happy we have a vaccine, was their point. But I was just like, huh, it's interesting they took such a strong stance on this. Because I agree it's useless to compare anything to history at this point. Because you're just going to get in an argument about that. And you're going to lose the actual point you're trying to make. Like, if your point is that talking about certain sections of the population, trying to force certain sections of the population to do something, and then treating them like they're bad people and a threat to everybody else, 
and potentially putting them in quarantine camps and all of this, you know, that's a good point. That that's a slippery slope. And it does lead to even worse situations. We know that. We know that there, these are these things happen gradually. But uh, don't make that comparison because you're just going to lose the point you're trying to make because you allow people to go in and say, you can't compare those two. So why even do it? And the fact that other people have made those loose comparisons for so many years and people had the same argument about that. You, argue, you end up arguing about the comparison rather than the issue you're actually trying to address. But I was, I was just a little bit surprised to see that this Auschwitz Memorial social media page, and it's just another absurdity among many, but I found it strange that like they would go out of their way to call people out for making comparisons, given how many comparisons have already been made in recent years. And it doesn't seem that they've done that when people make very broad Hitler comparisons. It doesn't seem that they do that when people make very broad generalizations about certain people being Nazis. But the fact that they took that stance about COVID and the vaccine struck me as very strange. But then it came out that certain people have donated money to them. Like one of the biggest vaccine proponents, I believe a, a scientist politician, it turned out, had donated a lot of money to them. I, you know, I'm not trying to draw any, I'm not trying to paint a picture here or anything. But you see things like that and you go, okay, you know. They receive money from somebody who has a vested interest in vaccines. And it's not a conspiracy theory, that's a fact. Because I wasn't the only one who saw that and was like, this is weird. This is weird. And other people kind of had this take of like, you know, you know if the you know if the Auschwitz memorial social media is telling you you're wrong, you've really screwed up. You know, which it's like, you have to remember that that page isn't run by the victims of the Holocaust. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not run by them. It's run by probably some young social media manager. And I've said this time and time again, and I learned it firsthand working at a tech company right around the time that social media was emerging as the dominant way that companies promoted themselves. And that, first of all, like the, the position of like social media manager, or whatever it's called now, it's probably it probably has another name. But at that point in time, that was one of the terms used. At that point in time, there was no precedent for it. Like you couldn't hire somebody who had experience in that role. So it usually fell to somebody who was young and familiar with tech. Somebody who might have come from a marketing background. 
but typically very young. So a lot of these people were in their 20s. I mean, I was in my 20s. And I would put myself at the older end of the spectrum when it came to, you know, understanding the internet, experiencing social media. Like at that point, like 12 years ago, you know, the only people who had any experience with social media were in their mid to late 20s at the oldest. And a lot of the people who fell into those roles were even younger. And at the time, it was just sort of like, oh, we need somebody to basically do social media marketing for us. But those people ended up having a lot of power. Because even the CEO of a company, even the people in executive positions, couldn't really tell that person what was right to do or wrong to do. Because they didn't know. It was a whole new world. And traditional marketing didn't really work on there. You had to engage people on social media in new ways. And a lot of it's just kind of following whatever the trend is. It's somebody who basically knows which way the wind is blowing. And they tell the executives, like, we need to go in this direction. But because there was nobody who had experience in that field... And it was constantly changing. It gave those people a lot of power. Especially as... There was this new social pressure... For businesses to to take stances on everything. And of course, many many of these young people... Had been very politicized. And sure, they would run things by the executives. It's not like they would just say whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. But it still gave them a lot of power, and that's shaped our world considerably. And I don't think that's something most people know. I don't think they realize the level of influence and power that young people being social media managers had. Because if the executive said, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if we want to say that. That young person running the account could say, yeah, but this is what people are doing. And we live in a time where like the out of touch old CEO is a thing of the past. And you're dealing with a lot of people in executive positions who are far more desperate to stay hip. And they're more aware of that because they use the internet too. They're exposed to a lot more information. So the pressure to stay current gave these young people running these social media platforms for companies and, you know, whatever it is, whatever institution gave them a lot of power. And then by now we have people who have experience in that field. It's well established. Because I I remember seeing meetings and stuff where a CEO or an executive would want to use a more traditional approach to promoting a business on social media. And that young person would be like, well, no, no, no. It gave them a lot of creative power 
it gave them a lot of negotiating power. It's kind of like if you know nothing about cars and you're talking to your mechanic and he says, like, I think you need to do this, you're kind of at his mercy. Or it's like, well, you're the one who knows about cars. I don't know anything. And it's difficult to bluff. And same thing with that, especially for an emerging technology. So who knows who it is? I mean, that's the thing, too, is like you have people making statements in the name of an institution, but you have no idea who that person even is. You have no idea if that passed through, you know, some kind of board of directors. Probably not. You can't run every, like, someone who's running a social media account for an institution can't run that through the entire board of directors every time you, you reply to something. But still, I saw that and I'm just like, huh, this is, it's really strange that the Auschwitz Memorial Museum, their official social media page, decided to take such a hard stance and accuse people of moral decay for comparing governments putting people in camps and calling unvaccinated people a health crisis. It's interesting they decided to take a hard line about that comparison to World War II, but they don't seem to have done that when other people make broad comparisons to Nazis and Hitler, just, and then there's a certain amount of, like, you're not allowed to question that either. You know, just like I was saying a minute ago, how there are people who are like, you know that you're in the wrong if you're arguing with the, the Auschwitz Museum, because that represents something sacred to people. But the reality is, is that's not the thing. Like that account is just a social media account run by some employee, run by some social media employee. It's not the actual thing it's representing. And you'd think if that was such a major point that they, they would have made statements before where it's like, hey, how about if everybody stopped making these comparisons? But they felt the need to make a pro-vaccine argument and accuse people of moral decay. You know, I just, I don't know, something about that just doesn't sit right with me. And even talking about it here, like even commenting on it here, you know, somebody would hear that and be like, oh, you're, you're paranoid. You know, you're, you're, you're worried about the Auschwitz Memorial? Why would they ever be weird about what's going on in the world? Well, guess what? Everybody's gotten really weird, if you haven't noticed. They've gotten really weird. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's just... It, you know, I, I, I do question myself. I mean, that's a thing. Is like, we're living in a time where like, sometimes I do kind of pinch myself. Kind of like when I was watching that robot on Android phones, like sing this really embarrassing, creepy pro-vaccine song. To who? Who is that intended for? Because I mean, I got the vaccine. I can't imagine making 
I, I can't imagine being excited about that. I guess it's for the people who like take photos of themselves and their kids getting the vaccine and make a big show of it. But even then, like, wouldn't you be embarrassed? Wouldn't you feel that that's a little bit weird? And that money is being spent to do this. I always try to bring this up. Kind of like the, the sending people up to space for a split second so that a billionaire can take a selfie for some PR stunt. Like, money is being spent to do this. In a time where people are very critical of how money is spent. And the, the poor conditions, you know, when people are talking about redistributing wealth, when they're talking about tax cuts for the rich, or sorry, you know, taxing the rich more heavily, and how billionaires get away with, you know, avoiding taxes with, you know, overseas, whatever, offshore, you know, whatever they do. I don't even know what they do. Um, but, uh, you know, at a time where, like, people are very well aware of how money is abused and misused, and it's one of the central talking points in politics, it comes up in people's personal lives. Like, somebody had to spend money to make that Android vaccine song. I don't know how much. But somebody made it. Somebody was being paid to do that. Probably a lot more money than you'd even expect. Like somebody had to program the robot to do it. Like some Android employee didn't do that in their spare time for free. Like somebody had to make the song. And even though it's a robot singing, at the very least somebody had to type it into an application to make the robot sing it. But it probably was more than that. They had to, they had to somehow generate... They had to generate the, uh, the song behind it. They had to generate the instrumental. There were probably meetings, because these people love meetings. So they probably had to have meetings with executives, with the Android executives, to get approval. And if, if you've ever been in a meeting with executives, they like to offer feedback, even when it's unnecessary, just to feel like they had a hand in it just to feel like they're doing something. And then somebody had to, you know, program it in. Somebody had to, you know, make it so that people can access it. They had to make it voice sensitive. You know, a lot of money probably went into that. Money that could have been donated elsewhere and like spend money how you want. I don't believe in monitoring other people's how other people spend their money. Cuz if you think about that stuff, it'll make you go crazy. But, uh, you know, just the amount of money that would have gone into that just to have a song that, who is it for? I mean, I want to I become an interrogator when all is said and done. I want to talk to these people. I want to go, who did you think this was for? <laughs> who did you think you were making this for? You certainly weren't making it for the vaccine hesitant. You certainly weren't trying to persuade people who don't want to get the vaccine. Because I can tell you that if somebody hasn't gotten the vaccine by December 2021, they're not going to be persuaded by that song. In fact, 
they're going to be freaked out even more and not want to get it. I could tell you it's not for me. I got the vaccine. It's certainly not a song for me. Even the people I know, even friends I have who got the vaccine and they're a little more pro-vaccine, they're more, they're more excited about it, they're more into it. I can tell you it's not for them. It's for freaks. It is for complete and utter freaks. makes our reality worse and it's a small thing that's just a tiny little thing but it's another symptom of everything that's going on just like getting that notification last night that forced itself open and tried to get me to download this covid exposure app oh exciting your state your state now has a covid exposure notification app so you can lose your mind with fear even faster saw something else where there was a New York Times article and I you know like I said before like I try to pay attention to these things like even if I don't like a newspaper even if I don't like a source I try to pay attention to what they're saying I don't want to wall myself in with people I agree with and I want and I want to be able to recognize when I feel that someone is making a good point even if I don't agree with it. A good point doesn't require my agreement. It doesn't require my agreement. There are good points that I disagree with. But I saw a, a New York Times article that said, like, this is what a failing planet looks like. A failing planet. I saw that headline and I was like, I have to read this. I have to see what this says. And... Uh, You know, sure enough, it was about climate change. I mean, I could have told you that without reading it. But I had to see what it said, because just the idea of a failing planet. That's a pretty bold statement. Who are we to decide what's a failing planet? What is a failing planet? I'm going to take a little bathroom break here, and I, I won't record it, so I'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Went to the bathroom, so I'm feeling a little calmer, a little less tense. But, I, you know, as I was saying, as I was saying, what is a failing planet? This New York Times article was telling us, what's a failing planet? And, of course, it was a planet that is experiencing climate change. It's, it's a planet that is a burning world of misery. But I just thought that phrase, like a failing planet, or a failed, it might even have been past tense, a failed planet. And that kind of plays into, you know, what I've said about death. You know, I've, I've been talking a lot about how, you know, you can accept that you as a human being will die, that everybody you know will eventually die. But the next step is to accept that, you know, maybe the planet will die. We know planets die. We know planets die. We do. And you can choose to 
be a good person who treats the planet as well as you can, who does the minimum amount of destruction that an individual person can do to the planet. But even then, you can't get some illusion that you're saving the planet or that this planet won't eventually die. And while, while I agree there is a realistic possibility that something is going on with our planet, and it's not insane to envision some kind of apocalyptic scenario, I'm also not wholly convinced that the burden is on us as individuals and that we should be told to change our lives or told to live a certain way because it's our fault. Oh, it's, it's this beautiful planet and it's your fault. It's your fault it's going to die. Very unhealthy and mean-spirited way of thinking. Even if you think people need to change what they're doing. Even if you think that we need to stop polluting the world. Which, who do we have to blame for that stem? But you know what? I don't even want them to feel bad. I just want us to address that fact that it's stem. If all of, if all of what they say is... If, if the, uh, the causes of climate change are what they say, we can thank science, technology, and engineering. I don't know about math. Maybe I shouldn't say STEM. Maybe I should just say ste STEM. I'll tell you know I'm insane. Is I'm going to go up to people and be like, No, you know what's destroying our planet? STEM. <laughs> are you saying STARE? Did you just say STARE? I said STARE. It's like STEM without the M. That's a better way to put it. I'll be, you know what we have to, you know who we have to thank for planetary destruction. STEM without the M. Although math plays a role, but it's like you can see we're science, technology, and engineering have created the tools that people believe are destroying our planet, and then we're supposed to go to them for help. I won't go on that rant again. I feel like I've made that point enough, but. It's just so strange to me that, that people don't see that. The idea is that you, the, the layman, you, the layman, because you drive a car, because you eat meat, because you don't recycle enough, because you don't do this, because you don't do that, your carbon footprint, your carbon footprint, your carbon footprint is going to be the straw that, that breaks the camel's back. And so we're going to tell you what to do. The scientists are going to tell you what to do. Well, aren't they the ones who got us in this mess? You know, people don't want to acknowledge that. It's like if the lab leak theory ends up being true for coronavirus. How could we ever trust them? How could the average person ever trust them if that turns out to be true? And you know what? Regardless of whether the lab leak theory is true, the fact that it's even possible, that it is possible, the fact that that is even possible should immediately give you pause. 
They should immediately remove your trust in these institutions, in these governments, in these scientist politicians. Not that you shouldn't do what you basically need to do. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, fight every single thing they tell you to do. But you shouldn't encourage it. You shouldn't give them credit. And if we do manage to get through all of this in one piece, I think some interesting information is going to come out. Even if it's not what we're thinking right now, some interesting information is going to come out. But anyway, going back to this, I had to go on a little, my usual little rant there against stay, against STEM without the M. Because I'm not going to blame mathematicians, man. I'm not very good at math. I was looking at it, I was going through an old box and I found a report card of mine from junior high and it was like good grades except for math. But just because I'm not good at math, doesn't mean I have a beef with mathematicians. Sure, they play a role, you know, but not as directly. It's the science, technology, and engineering. They love to take credit, but not responsibility. We love to give them credit, but not tell them they need to take responsibility. And I don't even understand that, because, you know, in World War II, speaking of World War II... You know, we gave the scientists a pass. We hired them. Scientists seem to always get a pass. Like, you know, if you were, uh, if you were in the, if you were in the German military, in any position of influence, or even just not, even just middle management in the German military, you faced repercussions for World War II of some kind. At the very least, you were investigated. Your role, your role was at least, you know, God, you know, they at least went over your, your role and your duties with a fine-tooth comb, which makes sense, makes complete sense you would do that. But I always thought it was interesting, and maybe, I don't know if this was done down the board, but it's like, not only did we give the scientists, the National Socialist scientists, a pass, but we basically said, oh, you don't have to take any responsibility. Not only that, we're going to give you a job here. That's exactly what we did with a lot of them. So we tend to give scientists a pass. You know, you have, uh, like, the Nuremberg trials was like, you know, just following orders does not absolve you of responsibility. You still have a moral responsibility to not follow inhumane evil orders. And I recognize that scientists and engineers also follow orders. I understand they're at the mercy of governments and institutions and corporations, but I don't see them any different from soldiers. And in some cases, they're worse. Because they're smart. 
they have a lot more options available to them. So I, I don't understand that at all. And it shows you that, you know, we've entered this kind of warped pathological worldview where it makes sense to us to just kind of let them wash their hands. But uh, with uh, going back to the, the article where it's like, this is what a failed planet looks like. And I'm like, what a sick worldview. Like, do you say that to a person on their deathbed? This is what a failed human looks like. You know, this guy's going to die. You know, it, it made me think of my mom because I was like, how I've described her is she had a successful life. I can't imagine a more successful life than hers. She spread kindness and goodwill right up to the very end. She gained an unbelievable amount of wisdom through experience. I could only see that as a successful life. But we have this idea that death is failure. You know, I, talked, I was talking about that, about like my friend who died when I was 16. A good friend of mine had cardiomyopathy. His heart was too big. An athlete, great shape, died randomly one day. He was at soccer practice, here one day, gone the next, you know? And how at the time, it kind of, I didn't feel like I could say anything because people are so weird about death. But the way people were talking about him was almost like his, not that they felt his life had been a failure, but it had that tone to it. Because it was like, oh, he was only 16, you know, uh, he didn't do this, this, and this. You know, he, he never got a job and had kids. And, you know, I mentioned how, like, people were commenting, like, he died a virgin. And I'm just like, you know, I, I just don't see... I just don't see it that way. And at the time, I didn't see it that way. And my view on this thing wasn't the same as it is now. Like, I hadn't experienced as much death. Not that I've experienced a lot, but, you know, I hadn't experienced it as much. And, uh, I don't. And, uh, you know, I hadn't experienced it as much. And, uh, you know, so my perspective has evolved, but it hasn't really changed. I don't have time for that. You know, dude rides his bike like across the road, like right up to me. You know, maybe I was a dick, but whatever, who cares? Um, and uh, my mom used to spread, spread kindness and goodwill. <laughs> yeah, this is who I am. Uh, but anyway. Uh, I'm talking about death, kid. Didn't you didn't you hear me talking about my my evolving perspective on death? But uh, you know, when people talked about my friend dying, it was just at the time, like it was, and it was parents, it was everybody. Like they didn't think of him as a failure, but they focused so much on like what he didn't do. And, it, you know, for his mom and his dad and everything, I completely understand why that would be a big thing. Like, they have to live the rest of their lives without their son. And they don't get to share in his experiences and see what he would have done and how his life would have gone. That's awful. And the rest of us who loved him, 
we experienced that in our own way. But it was just, it seemed like the tone of these conversations is like, you know, it, it's almost like saying like his life was a failure or something, or like he didn't accomplish what he could have accomplished. And that's true of everybody. Like nobody ever truly accomplishes everything they could have accomplished. But I don't think you should look at pe like a death as a failure. I think people miss their perspective is just warped to where like they don't see what a person did. And like if someone's life just sucked, that's a different story. Or if someone was a truly bad person. But it's like you think about planet Earth and all that it's produced. All that the planet Earth has produced. It's the only example we have of this lush world of life. And yet, we're always thinking about leaving it. We're always talking about space travel. And then when the Earth starts to show signs that something's wrong, we're like, oh, it's going to be a failed planet. If the Earth died tomorrow because of us, it's not a failed planet. Don't put that in people's minds. Even if humans are responsible for, for destroying this Earth and it dies tomorrow, it's still not a failed planet. We're not living on a failing planet. The fact that the New York Times would publish that. Like I said, to me that's like looking at an old person on their deathbed and saying, oh, because they're dying. And maybe they could have made better decisions. Oh, it's an old man on his deathbed. He looks pretty rough. Oh, he smoked cigarettes and he drank alcohol and, you know, his wife cooked him too much fried food. He's a failed human. It's funny to say that because it's so absurd. But our perspective on our planet is informed by our perspective on ourselves. And we do tend to look at death as a failure of some kind. What a sick worldview. Literally a worldview. To, to say that the Earth, even if we're talking about climate change and trying to encourage people to live cleaner, better lives that destroy the Earth less, you know, even if you're trying to convince people of that, to take responsibility for our planet, to be scaring people like that. And you know, if there's one thing that I've learned in the last two years, it is that people scare easily and deeply. And you know, that's one of the things that actually bothers me the most. It's that... It makes me so sad how scared people are. It makes me so sad how fearful they are. Even, even people who have less reason to fear, less reason to scare. Like, I know some people who have plenty of resources, who make a good living. They're not at risk, like, you know, they're, they're not at, they're, they're at a significantly less risk than anybody else. And they're scared to death right now. 
and they have been. And we already live fearful lives, and we fear each other. It makes me think of Charles Crum, you know, R. Crum's brother. You know, if you're not familiar, Robert Crum's older brother, Charles, was also a, a very talented artist, and they would make comic books together. It's, it's in the documentary, but I, I own some books. I still own them somewhere, but I own some books that had some more stuff about Charles like some of his some letters he had written and things like that because when I saw the R. Crumb documentary, Charles was the star of the show. Like I, and I'm an R. I'm an R. Crumb fan, of course, but uh, to me, like Charles stole the show. And he wrote a letter to Robert when he was younger, and it was just all about the things that he was afraid of. <laughs> and he was like, I was. He's talking about like childhood or something. He's like, I was scared of. He's like, I was scared of sex. I was scared of dad. I was scared of this. Scared of this. Scared. It was just like this long, it, like the whole letter, the entire letter that he wrote his brother was just this like endless list of every single thing he was scared of. But it was funny. Like, and, you know, it was just so funny to me to read that, too, because, like, there's a, you know, I read this many years ago, just like the line, like, I was scared of sex. I was scared of dad. You know, I don't remember the order, but still, it's like I read that, and it's like, that's the lives, those are the lives people live. Like, people go to work, they walk into an office they go into every day, and they're, like, scared of what people think about them. Am I doing a good job? Am I saying the right things? Am I, am I friendly enough? Do they like my jokes? Does my outfit look good? Am I doing something embarrassing? Am I doing something that will make my coworkers not like me? Is this client going to be difficult? Is my boss watching me? It's just fear all day, every little thing. Oh, I have to go to the grocery store on my way home. Are they going to have the bananas I want? <laughs> Are they going to have this? Is this going to be on sale? Just anxiety and fear. Is my wife going to be mad at me? Are my kids going to get good grades? Is my kid doing their homework? If I post this thing online, is it going to get any likes? <laughs> is somebody going to be mad at me? Is somebody going to say something mean to me? Is somebody going to not say anything but quietly be mad at me? <laughs> you know, that rules our lives even when things are good. Am I going to get invited to the party? Or keep going. This is fun. This is, this is my idea of fun. You know, am I going to get invited to the party? If I do get invited to the party and I go, what am I going to talk about? Am I going to say something stupid? Are the people there going to like me? Are they going to like me? And you know, that rules our lives as it is, just this persistent anxiety. And then you add in what's going on now, where that just expands. It just, all of these microscopic little 
sources of anxiety and fear that rule our lives even when our lives are going great, even when the world is a cushion to us. You know, those just expand and it feeds into each other. I mean, I was thinking the other night, last night, which is the other night, I was thinking about how, like how many opportunities we have to like completely disrupt somebody's life. Like you could, and people do this, but you could create an anonymous account on a social media website and just send somebody a message or make a comment on their photo that is just a little bit critical. Or that is just like a little bit of a mean joke. I'm not even talking about full-on cruelty or death threats. But just something very small. And that will stick in somebody. That will rule them. It will completely preoccupy them. And they will have to decide whether or not to get upset, whether to respond. They might go on a whole campaign. I mean, I see the way some people respond to just the most minor things. And we have the ability to do that at any given time. And like, you know, like a set of dominoes, you know, that's going to influence their interaction with somebody else. We are exquisitely sensitive creatures. And our lives, our practical daily lives, are already filled with all this fear and anxiety to the point where we're medicating ourselves, we're paying some stranger to go talk to them about our childhood, to talk to them about how our boss said this to us, and it reminded us of this and how they need to talk you need to talk about it for an hour and then you throw in oh you know leaving the house if you leave the house you're gonna get sick really sick and they're gonna have to hook you up to tubes and your family's not gonna be able to see you and you might be infecting somebody else. You probably are. Download the app. Download this app so that you know. So that you know if you've been exposed. Oh, and do this too. Make sure you do this too. And if you don't do that, well, you're just self-centered and you're trying to kill people. Oh, and if somebody has a different opinion than you, well, they're trying to kill people, and you shouldn't talk to them. In fact, you should probably say something mean to them. You should other them. Oh, and here's a bunch of other issues. Don't forget politics. Don't forget about being right. And if you're not sure if you're right, Here's some people who are right. And by listening to them, you can kind of be right by proxy. And that'll help you when you deal with that other person.
who doesn't agree with you. But don't forget to be scared of the, the disease. Oh, and uh, by the way, like even if we get past this disease, oh, and then, you know, make sure you get vaxxed. And if, you, if the people you know don't get vaxxed, don't talk to them. Or if you do, make sure that you obnoxiously try to coerce them and persuade them to get it. Oh, and, and if you want a song, if you need some music, just tell your phone, sing me a song, and a robot will sing you a beautiful song of vaccine propaganda. That sounds great. <laughs> sounds great. This is just what I needed. <laughs> it's just what I needed. Oh, and, and by the way, you know, if you're starting to feel okay about coronavi, like you can leave the house and you won't get infected or spread the infection, you got vacked, you got the double vac. Oh, by the way, it loses efficacy really quickly. Really quickly. And you can still get it and spread it. Oh, and there's a new one, too, and the vaccine doesn't work for that. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work for that one. And by the way, all those people who disagree with you, they're making you even more vulnerable. But you know what? There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not going to be like this forever. But there's inflation. You're going to be paying insane prices for items that you take for granted. You're going to be paying a lot of money to drive your car that you've grown up being completely dependent on. Because you don't walk anywhere. Maybe you're not even in great shape. And... Uh, a lot, a lot of the people that you care about live a good distance away from you, even if you live in the same town, because you become completely dependent on driving a car. So just get used to paying a lot of money to see the people you love, to go to work, where you're scared about everybody anyway. How do you want? To, let's bring race into it too. Did you know that you're part of a class of people who's either oppressed or oppressive and you need to negotiate that dilemma every waking moment of your life and tell other people that you're negotiating it and stay up to date that you're negotiating it in the right way. And there's nothing you can actually do to change that. You've got to think about everything your ancestors do or didn't do. And even if your ancestors weren't even here, they look like the people who were here and benefited from that. Oh, and on top of all that, we're living on a failing planet.
We're living on a failing planet and uh, all of those things that you become dependent on, all of that science, technology, and engineering that provide you with tools that you don't even choose to use. You just have to use them to be a functioning human being in modern society. Those things are destroying the planet. And you're going to have to radically change your life or you're responsible for this planet's failure. If this planet can no longer support life and becomes miserable and unlivable, you can thank yourself. No escape from that. No escape. Except that there is. You don't have to think that way. You do not have to live that way, and it's difficult. It requires constant vigilance. You have to be able to detach yourself. You have to have discipline of various kinds. When you don't like what somebody's saying, even if it's personally directed at you, you have to learn to separate yourself from it. You have to have a sense of humor, first and foremost, a sense of humor, mandatory. If you don't have a sense of humor, you're done. You don't have to be the funniest person in the room, but you gotta laugh. And even if you don't find somebody else funny, if they're just trying to be genuinely funny, and it's not just social or political propaganda, you know, masked as humor, if somebody's just trying to lighten the air, appreciate that. Appreciate that they're taking that approach, opposed to all of the alternatives I just outlined a minute ago. So without a sense of humor, you're done. Your goose is cooked. Your earth, your earth, your earth is cooked. <laughs> Without a sense of humor, your earth has already failed. That's my take. But uh, that's how it is. You do have alternatives from that. And the reason I pay attention to all of it, the reason why I don't just live in a fantasy world where I, I try to keep tabs, keep tabs, is because that helps me. You know, it actually helps me stay on track, to stay aware of what the alternatives are. I want to know about all the traps, I want to know about all the tricks. I want to know about all of the weird little pathological holes that people find themselves in and just keep burrowing deeper and deeper. I want to know about it all. So that's the reason why I try to take all this stuff in. It's not masochism. And sometimes even I indulge a little bit too much. Even I pay attention a little bit too much to maybe the darker and 
more frustrating things. But I just, I like to see it all develop. I'm fascinated by it, honestly. I find it fascinating. But it's a cliche when people say, like, oh, you know, it's just, it's fear. They're just trying to rule you by fear. But you can see where that's just taken over. It's already there all the time, which is why you have to keep it at bay. You keep it at bay because it's always going to be there. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I'm afraid of things. I'm a naturally worried person, in fact. But that gives me even more motivation to not get sucked in. Because it's a good thing to be scared. It's not a good thing to be fearless. Maybe in some situations, some very, very specific situations, it's good to be fearless. But you don't want to live a fearless life all the time. But you have to learn to appreciate it. And you can appreciate your fear. You can appreciate being scared when you have control over it. Which is why you like scary movies. Which is why, like, when I was a little kid and my friends and I would have sleepovers and we'd sneak out the window at night and wander around and go to parks. A big part of the fun is that we would scare each other. Like, one of us would say, is there a guy over there? We'd be looking over into the bushes, into the trees, and be like, we'd start to hallucinate almost. We'd think that there was, like, some creepy guy just hanging out in the bushes there wasn't one and we knew it but we enjoyed it because it was within our control that's why people enjoy watching scary movies they enjoy fear when it's under their control and so it's not a bad thing it's just that you can't be consumed by it you can't let other people control it for you and I don't even think there's some puppet master, the puppet master of fear. I don't even think that there's necessarily that. I think some people are deliberately manipulating it. But I don't think there's any one person at the controls. I think it's everybody's fear interacting with everyone else's fear. And there are certain disturbed personalities who take advantage of that. But they're not the boss. They're not the master. They're not the one actually controlling it. They're just trying to direct it in certain ways. And the truth is, they're scared of you. Children can run free.